Wow. Well, our text for this morning comes from Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 34 through 46. It, it, it's going to sound familiar. It's a familiar reading. Uh, once again, Jesus is confronted by the religious authorities. And once again, his response reveals his mission, which is to demonstrate and extend uh, the grace of God in the world. And so with that in mind, I inv- invite you to listen now for the word of the Lord to you today. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, an expert in the law, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them this question. What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David by the spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under my feet. If David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? And no one was able to give him an answer, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. It's also, I think, the first recorded mic drop event in history. (laughs) No one dare to ask him any more questions. What a great response. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, a rock in our Redeemer. Amen. Well, the great Jewish theologian Abraham Joshua Heschel recently made the observation in an essay that he wrote just last week that most of us do not know the answer to one of the most important questions, namely, what is our ultimate concern? What is our ultimate concern? What is the ultimate thing towards which everything else is directed? In other words, what is the center of our lives? I wonder how you would answer that question. I wonder if you know, or if you might be surprised by your most honest answer. Maybe it's your family, Uh, maybe it's your work, maybe it's a cause that you've devoted uh, countless resources and time and energy to. Maybe sincerely, and I mean this sincerely, maybe it is the Chicago Cubs. I wanted to wear my Texas Rangers hat this morning Abby said it was not appropriate. Maybe it's your faith. Maybe in a moment of complete honesty, you might actually say, it's me. It's myself. What is our ultimate concern? That is the question that the Pharisees ask Jesus in this reading for today. And yet another round of questions to try to trap Jesus, to test him. And so far, he has stumped them. He stymied their every uh, attempt to test him and trap him. And perhaps frustrated by this, they go straight for the heart of the matter. They ask him, what is the one thing that we ultimately should focus on? And again, like the question that they have asked time and time again, it's a bit insincere, right? 
I mean, they know the answer to this question. They are the experts in the law. They know full well what is the greatest commandment. And for once, surprisingly, Jesus gives a straightforward answer. The greatest law, he says, is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind, with everything. And for bonus, you got to take all that energy and you got to put it into also loving your neighbor as yourself, by which he means everyone. He means your friends. He means your family. He means strangers. He means enemies. Now, this is, uh, it's both beautiful. It's a beautiful summary of the law. And it is also daunting when you think about it. His words are true. He's right. And we know this. We know that his, he's right because we know what it's like to experience the opposite. You might have heard of the singer-songwriter and producer Nick Lowe. Uh, he has a, a line in a song that goes, there's nowhere to run from what lack of love has done. There's nowhere to run from what lack of love has done. And it's true. Much of uh, our suffering, much of our pain, much of our frustration, our discontent in this world uh, can be traced back to some failure to uphold this commandment. And just a brief glance at the headlines from this week proves what I'm talking about, right? But we also know this personally too, don't we? I mean, you and I, even if we were raised in an amazing family, had loving parents, uh, good friends, a fulfilling community, um, maybe we have a good job, a happy marriage, a, a boss who uh, is good to us, even if we have all of those things, we still in some way have suffered from a lack of love in our lives. We have been poorly loved by people whose capacity to love is compromised simply by the fact that they are human beings like us. My son Elliot uh, has been doing this thing where he will write a, a little note to me and then at the end of the note asks, do you love me? Check yes or no. <laughs> and then hands me the pen to check yes or no, like we're in middle school, passing notes to each other. It's both adorable, but like very tragic too, am I right? I mean, my heart breaks every time he does it. Um, I've checked yes about 50 times, right, in the last two weeks, uh, and yet he keeps bringing me these notes, check yes or no, dad, do you love me? And so I told him yesterday, Elliot, you know I love you, like I'm always going to check yes on this note. And he looked at me and suspiciously said, I know, but I'm just making sure. I'm just making sure. Please don't judge me, okay? I, I, uh, I promise that I'm doing everything within my power to love my children. Um, I tell them every day. I, I sincerely, I tell them all the time. Hopefully I show them, right? Hopefully my actions don't betray uh, the fact that I do love them. Uh, but this is the point I'm trying to make, right? Even our attempts to love those people in our lives that are actually easiest to love fall short, right? Or at least the love that we give them isn't perfect enough so that they have to check in every once in a while to make sure that we, in fact, do love them. So maybe you haven't been perfectly loved, or maybe you have a lot of love to give, but your attempts to love... Uh, have been thwarted, they've been compromised by circumstance, maybe bad timing or death or some other reason. Or maybe you, find, um, maybe you find you love the wrong things. Or maybe you find that you love the right things, but you love them not enough or you love them in the wrong way. Jesus' commandment is true. 
that the world and our lives would be far better if we could do a little better job at just doing what he says. If we could just love God with everything we have and love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And yet when you think about it, when you really sit to think about it, and we did this in staff meeting this week, uh, and I asked people to think about this, and what is your first reaction? And, and oftentimes the first reaction is, so it is a kind of form of relief, like thank you for summarizing all of the law into these two commandments. And then you think about those two commandments, and you're terrified. How can I actually do this? It's daunting. Have you ever tried to command someone to feel a certain way? Have you ever, like me, tried to tell your children to be more grateful? Like, that's the trick. I'll just tell them to be more grateful for the things that I've given them. Or maybe you've tried really hard to love someone, but it seems the harder you try, the harder it becomes. We cannot force ourselves to love something or someone that we don't. I wish we could, but we can't. So what do we do? Because Jesus is not just saying that we should give it our best effort here. He's not saying, look, just give it the good college try, and uh, we'll see how it works out. He's saying we need to love with all our heart, with all of our strength, with all of our mind. That means our intentions, our motivations, as well as our actions. It means what preoccupies us, what is our ultimate concern. Jesus doesn't think that we can just kind of fake it until we make it here. And we're supposed to love not just God this way, but our neighbors, too. How are you doing with that one? You know, it's sometimes hard to determine whether or not we actually love God. I think it's, it's a little bit difficult. But there's usually no doubt about whether we love our neighbors, right? And just take this very literally. Take Jesus very literally and try to apply this to the people who live next door to you. Sometimes that can be tough, right? Well, as you know, this is Reformation Sunday. And I actually think that the Reformation might be able to help us when it comes to what Jesus instructs us to do today. Uh, the reformers, and Martin Luther in particular, recovered an instinct, recovered an instinct from Augustine that God speaks to us in two ways primarily, in the law and in the gospel. In the law and in the gospel. What's the difference? Well, in very basic terms, it's this. The law shows us that we need to be forgiven. The gospel announces that we have been forgiven. The law, it's the law that um, tells us what we ought to do, but it's the gospel that tells us what God has done. Do you see the difference? But while the law might tell us how to behave or what to do, it's actually powerless to help us do the thing that we have to do. It's like telling someone to be more grateful. It doesn't work. So telling us to obey the law of love doesn't really help us do it from the depths of our soul. We need something more. We need the gospel, which is a totally different language altogether. How does it work? Let me give you one example. Years ago, uh, one of America's finest Presbyterians, Fred Rogers, uh, I don't know if you knew that he was a Presbyterian, but he was, uh, he was presented with the, an a Lifetime Achievement Award at the Emmys, late 90s. Uh, and he was introduced as the best neighbor any of us has ever had, right? Which is, I think is true. And then for a few moments, he was given a microphone, and he was given an enormous stage, an enormous platform. I mean, it was the Emmys. Right? And this is in the 90s where you had to watch it like live on TV. He could have taken that opportunity, like so many other celebrities have, to beseech and to implore 
the audience to love better, right? To treat their neighbors better, or at least to try a little harder. He could have taken that opportunity to really kind of berate them about a cause that was important to him. But he didn't. He didn't preach the law. He preached the gospel. He begins his speech by giving thanks for the people in his life. Some, he says, are present here. Some in my past. Some in heaven. He gives thanks for these people who loved him into being the person he is. And then he does something remarkable. He does something remarkable. He asks the audience, point blank, to think about who has loved them. And he invites them to take 10 seconds to think about those who have helped them to become the person that they are. Who has loved them? Who has cared for them? Who has loved them into being? And then he just, I mean, think about the timing of this, right? The marketing dollars spent on this. He takes 10 seconds and he pauses and he asks them to take that time and to think about these people. And then he pauses for 10 seconds. And you see the camera and the camera's panning around this room and all of these people, very successful people, put together people who are normally, you know, put together, have tears in their eyes as they're thinking about the people in their lives who have loved them, who have cared for them, who have made them the people that they are. It's an absolutely incredible moment. No one was expecting it. And it reveals something. It reveals that Fred Rogers had a gospel-centered view of the world. He understood that each of us is flawed, each of us is broken in some way, and that affects the way that we're able to love one another, and that we actually stand a much better chance of loving not only God, but loving our neighbors when we remember our own belovedness first. The gospel is, after all, John tells us, not that we loved, but that God loved us. Maybe you have someone in your life who has loved you like that. Maybe you're not sure who that person is. And so I, in the spirit of St. Rogers this morning, I'm just going to take 10 seconds. And I want us to think about someone in our lives who has loved us into being. Someone whose gracious, surprising, and undeserved love made a deep and lasting impact in our lives. I'm going to give you 10 seconds, and I'm going to watch the clock. I hope that you were able to think of someone who in your life has loved you into being, someone who made a deep and lasting impact, and then give thanks to God for them today. But maybe you haven't had someone in your life who's loved you like that, or maybe you haven't had someone in a long time who has loved you like that. And if you're in that place, I hope that today that you will find some comfort in knowing that Jesus didn't just come to preach the law or fulfill, he came to fulfill the law, with his very life. He came to love the unloved and the unlovable. He came to love the broken and the unworthy. And that is what the cross says to us each and every week, that he loves us so much, he was willing to endure the cross for our sake. If the law announces that we ought to love perfectly, it is the gospel that announces that we are perfectly loved. Thankfully, we do not have to ask God, do you love me? Check yes or no. So this Reformation Sunday, let us remember more than 95 theses that were nailed to a door. Let us remember Christ who was nailed to a cross for our sake. 
to demonstrate the one-way love of God today. Let us remember our belovedness. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen.